Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. This week we have a special Halloween episode about Bram Stoker's Dracula, not to be confused with the book Dracula by Bram Stoker. This is the <laughs> adaptation directed by Francis Ford Coppola. It's a kind of intense gothic romance starring Gary Oldman as Dracula, Keanu Reeves as Jonathan Harker, and Winona Ryder as Mina Harker, his wife. In many respects, it's really accurate to the novel, but it kind of emphasizes the book's sexual subtext uh, quite explicitly, and is basically really, really over the top. And it's also known for its use of practical effects, which gives it, you know, a unique look among contemporary horror movies. No kind of CGI in there, even though it's the early 90s when people were very into that. So yeah, Morgan, I believe this is your first ever Dracula movie. Yes, we were just saying this before you started recording. I have never seen a Dracula film, which is kind of remarkable given how many of them there are. And I, in fact, watched this this morning, which is not the ideal context, I would say, for this film. I mean, I thought it was great. It was just very funny to be watching it with, like, the sun rising outside. This should be watched at night. If you're going to watch this after listening to this podcast, don't watch it in the daytime. It's not how I would recommend it. It is one of the most gothic movies I have seen and my hobby is watching gothic movies. There's no part of this film which is subtle. I mean, I'm not going to recap all of the story of Dracula for listeners. I feel like most people are familiar with it. You know, like there's a Victorian guy who's hired to be like a lawyer for Count Dracula and then he goes over to Transylvania gets kidnapped and then comes back and then Dracula also comes back and starts feeding off women and turning them into vampires and a kind of metaphor for sexual impropriety and also the terrible men of Eastern Europe coming to steal our women sort of thing. And then eventually they kill Dracula. But um, in this one, it's simultaneously really loyal to the book, but also just like colossally over the top. And the first sequence is set in ancient Transylvania and it's just Gary Oldman with this luxuriant long hair and beard wearing this... I mean, it's not even attempting to be historical. It's just this incredible fantasy armor that makes him look like a kind of evil bug. Um, <laughs> the costumes are by Eiko Ishioka, who's like incredible. If you've ever seen the movie The Fall, she also did the costumes in that. She does these really stylized outfits. But it's just him like screaming at the sky that he's renounced God and like all of the backgrounds are painted. So it looks like everyone's in like a projected screen. It's just... And then scene two, straight on to literally Tom Waits eating a live bug. And then it just continues in that vein for two hours. <laughs> It's wild. There's a lot happening. There's just a lot going on. I'd completely forgotten that there's a scene where Lucy, uh, Mina's friend, literally just has sex with a wolf. Yes, that does happen. That is a thing that occurs. I was sort of like, well, this is taking an interesting turn. (laughs) Okay. That, my one sort of criticism of the film, we're sort of doing this backwards, but... Poor Lucy basically just gets to ride around naked for most of the movie very uh, sexually. And that's all that really happens, which is a reflection of what the film is really about, which is just sex. That's all that's going on. It's just all about horniness. Yeah. But also, I've seen quite a lot of Dracula adaptations and Lucy is not a forgiving role. Oh, yeah. Because either she's just one dimensional, even a slutty. Or she's this kind of fainting victim, as is Mina. Like, basically, no one is any good adapting the female characters in Dracula because they're just, like, not that into it. And I feel like this one actually does a pretty good job, even though Lucy is incredibly sexualized in this film in, like, a really obvious way. But it's so over the top that I'm, like, I'm kind of into it. And at the same time, you do kind of feel bad for her. 
even though she's this cartoonishly ridiculous person wearing these kind of red dresses and trying to like suck all of her boyfriend's blood and writhing around. <laughs> I mean, when she's walking out into the garden to fuck the wolf, werewolf, whatever, it's never actually clear also, like, I mean, it's Dracula, but like, how does, I don't even, the, the logistics don't matter. Um, she winds up sort of, she's like walking through the like plants with this ridiculous red robe sort of fluttering around her and then the camera sort of zooms in as it like rises up over her legs and then she's basically just wearing a corset that's like incredibly historically inaccurate which is fine but it was also kind of like okay man chill out with this like we know you like her tits like calm down <laughs> and then she goes off and then, oh my word yeah i felt a bit bad for the actress like she obviously knew what she was getting into but it was a little much it, well, it's certainly a lot a lot i did at the very least appreciate this is something that like morgan was just reminding me of earlier but um, the director, he was like, the material here is so sexual that I, as an old man, do not feel comfortable directly talking about it with the stars. So he had like a women sex expert to come in and chat with them about it. Because like, you know, Winona Ryder and was it Sadie Frost were, you know, young. Which is like kind of the opposite of what usually happens in these situations, which is just someone just being a tremendous creep to his employees. At least you did this one thing. Although... <laughs> Coppola also then apparently like told Gary Oldman to like say erotic things to Sadie Frost before one of the scenes where she has to ride around and she told the press that what Gary Oldman had said was very unrepeatable so I can just imagine this is Gary Oldman who knows <laughs> it yes it certainly is and his that reminded Oldman. me of something that I forgot to mention in our in our John the Carey episode which is that I was listening to this interview with John the Carey where he was discussing Gary Oldman and Alec Guinness who both played George Smiley the most famous character from the Tinker Tailor soldier spy novels and he was like both of them are like incredibly good but the kind of key difference is that Gary Oldman just has this aura of carnality <laughs> whereas Alec Guinness is just really sexless and it's just like even though there is like nothing remotely sexual about Gary Oldman's role there's something about his vibe <laughs> and it's like yeah that's why he's playing Dracula and the thing that I really love about him in this specific Dracula is that it's completely unique he has a unique interpretation of potentially the most overdone character in cinema yeah I remember that interview or I mean, maybe he said it multiple times, but I remember that comment um, that when they initially cast him as Smiley, Lacare was like, really? I don't know about that. Because if you read the books, like Smiley is written as this like pudgy little man in an overcoat. Yeah. He's and meant then, to look owlish all the time. Yeah. And then he um, saw the film or went on set or whatever. and was like, oh, no, it's fine. I get it. But um, that's a really uncharacteristic role for Oldman, and probably part of the reason why he got nominated for the Oscar for that is that it's completely sort of recessive and internal. Like, his face almost doesn't move at all, and it's amazing. I think it's the best thing of his I've ever seen. This is a more traditional Gary Oldman role in which he camps it up big time, lots of yelling, lots of sexy stuff, and it's great. It's really I love that he's just leaning into it. There's no point where he's like, I should restrain myself. And it's really wonderful that they partner him up with Anthony Hopkins, who has the same general philosophy of performance. <laughs> yes. I mean, the movie doesn't require restraint. No. So why bother? Just go for it at all times. 
I mean, they they just have to have someone who has, because Gary Oldman has no shame with this kind of role. You know, we've all seen him in The Fifth Element. But in this, it's like you have to deliver these lines that have been said. Just It's like Hamlet or something. The thing where it's like, oh, the children of the night, what wonderful music they make. Or the part where he's just like, I don't drink vine. <laughs> it's just like, he just leaves like such a long, luxuriant pause. <laughs> Yeah, it's also there's so much where he's got the ridiculous old age makeup on. Yeah. Or other absurd makeup creations. And this on tremendously him. tall hair. He looks yes. because like Hollywood has this really specific idea of what Dracula looks like, which is basically either the Bella Lugosi version or the Christopher Lee version, both of which are quite suave and they have short hair. You know, the version in the novel is a bit more kind of wild. He's got like a bushy monobrow and stuff. But Hollywood has like a suave, sexy Dracula. And this is sexy Dracula, but it's also like gross Dracula. Because he is for most of the film this kind of decaying man with these long, weird claws. And although, as Morgan said, the old age makeup it looks peculiar, but it works for him. And I kept thinking, because I recently rewatched Cloud Atlas, which has the most distracting makeup out of any film I've seen. And it looks so much better than any of the makeup. Because like I'm not even talking about like the racist stuff. There's loads of old age makeup in that film. And presumably it's much more high tech. But Dracula's looks better. So much better. They knew what they were doing. Coppola, like, Coppola required the best. He was yeah. like, my schlocky film will have the best technology, the best costumes, by God. And he got it. Well, he I guess fired also- the special effects company because he was like, I'm only using technology from like before 1930. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, got his son to do it. I mean, keep it in the family. It worked. It's fine. There was so much going on in this movie. I really couldn't believe what was happening i have read half of dracula yeah same i've actually not read all of dracula i've just i've read the first half and seen a million films well i took a class in irish literature in college with a very esteemed famous author and he told us do not read all of dracula because at a certain point it's just the same thing over and over and over again dracula is really fucking long it's like 500 plus pages i think it's a long book and at a certain point, there is only so much of, like, Jonathan Harker's letters from the castle that you really want to read. So, but then the films obviously either are completely different. I mean, again, I haven't seen any of the other ones, but as someone who consumes culture, like, you pick yeah. up on this stuff. Like, all the fucking Igors in these movies, which is not a thing that is in the book. But they have to, like, cut to the chase to get to plot at the end. And this had such a like wild conclusion with uh, Winona Ryder, who is also great in this movie. And the film like makes you root for her and Dracula in yeah. an amazing way. Largely because Keanu Reeves is a nothing. But it's not <laughs> even, lo- I mean, it's partly because of that, but it's, it's really fascinating because it doesn't even slightly position Jonathan Harker is the protagonist. Yes. He's well, in it's it. like a combination of factors, right? Because so Keanu Reeves in this film is like famously considered one of just like the worst performances in like a mainstream film. I mean, the thing is, it's not ever. even, I mean, obviously the performance is bad, right? But it's like 
predominantly that is miscasting, right? Because I've seen worse yes. performances, but it's like, it's completely insane to cast Keanu Reeves in this role. Because this is like, you know, I think that Keanu Reeves is a very underrated actor, but he has to be in the right role. And also this is him at the beginning of his career. And he has to play a Victorian Englishman in an over-the-top gothic romance. I mean, I love Keanu Reeves. I'm not trying to insult Keanu, who is wonderful, but... This is not his finest work, shall no, we say. No, it's definitely his worst work. And it's completely miscasting. Like, I don't understand. It said in the Wikipedia page they wanted to cast, like, a matinee idol, which he certainly is, but he was not the correct matinee idol for this film. Um, interestingly, one of uh, Lucy's many suitors is played by Carrie Ellis, and I was like, why didn't they just have him play Jonathan? Yeah, swap like, him in instead. Like, I don't understand. That's, that's, that should be his role. Yeah. And then also, as you say, he comes in, and then maybe 20 minutes into the movie, maybe 25, they literally just leave him in Transylvania for like 40 minutes and don't even bother to go back because no one cares. He's so boring. Like, yeah. It doesn't matter. And so it's a combination of the performance being legendarily bad and then also the movie just not giving a shit about him at all the one-two punch therefore is just like no you should run off with dracula like that seems like a much That's, better it's option fascinating because it's, like, it's so obvious that coppola is like this really intensive mina harker dracula shipper right which is not an angle that i have really experienced in any other dracula film like obviously there has to be this undercurrent of dracula is able to hypnotize people and like women all have all these desires that they can't necessarily face up to and they are freed by having Dracula's hypnosis allow them to be fully sexual and what have you and have appetites but in this there's this whole element where she's basically the reincarnation of his dead wife from like the 14th century or whatever and the reason why he became a Dracula why <laughs> the reason why he became a vampire is because you know she died and then he renounced God and then spent the next like 700 years eating babies with his random sexy other wives who are not really characters. And then she comes along and he's like, I've got to have her again. But there is like a significant portion of this film in the latter half where he is seducing her. So like he follows her to London and then is basically like a creepy street harasser, like pickup artist trying to seduce her by being like, can you show me where the cinema is? Like, and she's like, oh my God, please stop talking to me. I'm married. So it's like a very, it's like an excellent street harassment scene until the point where he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she's like, oh, actually I will just go out with you on this like non-date date. And then because she doesn't really have any male attention because Jonathan Harker's busy being tied up by evil vampires in Transylvania, he like just monopolizes her and they go on weird dates together. And you can kind of believe it because it's Winona Ryder and she's so gothic that you're like, okay, sure. <laughs> and it's like I am I am actually I am into it even though it's like obviously gross but that's kind of the point is that you're into it and it's really gross but it's certainly a unique angle to take with with Dracula specifically <laughs> well it's also the thing like I've been seeing a bunch of articles going around recently because like it's Halloween time and so this is the sort of thing piece that gets written right about how like women are actually the audience for horror movies and like always have been I think it was like a it may have been like an old Bela Lugosi interview or something that yeah, someone but had like written fucking duh. duh right well right but I'm not saying <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. an original thought right but this yeah. is the kind of thing that gets trotted out around this time of year and I feel like this movie is very much a manifestation of this whether anyone making it understood that this was the case I mean it came about 
because Winona Ryder like took the script to Francis Ford Coppola and was like, I would like you to make this movie with me. And then he did it, which is cool. But this central relationship is simultaneously, as you say, like definitely fucked up and gross, but you're watching it and you're like, do it, girl. Like, get it. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just like, I, I've not actually seen Twilight, but it's like, Twilight's sort of the watered down version, right? Yeah. Because Twilight is like, we're going to make it like an accessible, vulnerable teenage boy, but he's also still a vampire. Whereas for me, I far prefer this version because Gary Oldman, at his best, is like middle-aged Gary Oldman acting like quite an extensive weirdo wearing an incredible outfit and the culmination of their sexual relationship is her licking congealed blood off his chest and then he turns into a giant bat so I was like fantastic (laughs) and at his worst he's literally like this decaying guy who's having these histrionic tantrums because he's seen a crucifix (laughs) and he's made of papery skin and lives in a giant castle that was just made of cardboard shadows, right? Great romantic lead, fantastically well done. And because you're not necessarily meant to be rooting for it, they don't fully realise that it's like, well, Keanu's like handsome, but basically he doesn't have anything going for him. (laughs) He has no personality, he's got no bunny, he's just a nothing, he's locked up somewhere having orgies with some ladies. His hair turns gray to represent the loss of his virility. He is not a good option. Meanwhile, sexy decaying Dracula is coming over to, like, take his lady. It's great. It's really excellent. A-plus romance. (laughs) It's just everything the Victorians wanted, but then turned up to, like, a hundred million percent more than they could ever permit. Because the kind of the whole point of, like, Dracula's original popularity is that you can have this subversive stuff that's clearly a sex metaphor and also kind of a colonialist kind of shebang um but ultimately the point is that mina harker and jonathan harker are this perfect couple and also mina is the perfect victorian lady because she's all accomplished and supportive and really intelligent but not boastful about it and all this stuff and then they do end up happy together and you are meant to be like you know well done because even though you've been able to indulge in the kind of sexy stuff with lucy but in the end the baddies get punished and you destroy the evil European usurper. Whereas in this, they're like, well, we've kind of got that subtext, but mostly we want to see someone fuck a wolf. (laughs) Also, the novel is way more homoerotic than this film. That's true. I I would like to see a more homoerotic Dracula. I mean, that's not like a criticism of the movie at all. It's just that they clearly decided that they were more interested in this weird fucked up thing that's not really in the book so much. And, like, I support that. They really went for it. But they obviously, like, they had a story they wanted to do that was different. <laughs> but the book has all this, like, weird, other weird, complicated stuff. <laughs> stuff. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, this is more, um, more faithful in certain superficial ways i guess and in the sense that obviously there's just the general vibe of weird sex stuff is there but in other ways it's it's not so much which i mean that's again not a criticism that's fine it's been adapted like 70 times so whatever but yeah this wild anthony hopkins also there's doing some weird things yeah in a delightful way the evolution of van helsing as a character is nothing that anyone would predict because obviously van helsing now is known 
as the Hugh Jackman action movie, where it's like yes. sexy werewolf Van Helsing, which is just insane. But obviously in most interpretations, he's the kind of elderly Dumbledore figure who's basically there to explain what vampires are. And it's not really a very interesting character, but he's basically the only person who knows what's going on. And every single other person in the story is a horny idiot. Because there's like Lucy, <laughs> whose failing is that she's a horny idiot. Her three suitors, who are all horny idiots, but they have different attributes. And then like Mina and Jonathan, who are meant to be really pure, but in this film, they're also horny idiots. As <laughs> is Dracula. Like Dracula is not smart either. He's also a horny idiot. And in this one, they're like, what should we do with Van Helsing? Anthony Hopkins is like, I really just feel like he ought to be a horny idiot. <laughs> You know, and it's like they introduced him doing this monologue where he's like talking to an academic class about syphilis. And I was watching this with my friends and kind of halfway through the film, my friend Dan was like, do you think that Anthony Hopkins' character is meant to actually have syphilis? And that's why he's acting so fucking weird. Because he's just like, the other characters are acting weird in like a genre specific context. But Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing is just acting like a weird he just does all this stuff that's like so elaborate like hitting on Mina in a sort of dirty old man way that just isn't fully acknowledged in the text but she's clearly like uh what and then at one point he has to explain what a vampire is and he does a trick where he's like throwing his voice but effectively he like just teleports across a garden but like never uses that superpower again and there's a point where like they have to behead a vampire and he just like stands there being like who wants to behead her and it's just like he's so weird He's just so peculiar and really, really also quite sexual. Yes. He really enjoys being the person who comes in when there are like young ladies riding around half naked and it's like, I'm going to fix this situation and it might wind up in murder. (laughs) Okay, that's your thing, I guess. I hope you enjoy it. Like, and meanwhile, all the young men are like, oh. Also, I thought it was hilarious. So, like, Lucy decides she's going to marry one of her three suitors, and then one of the other two is the doctor who winds up sort of attempting to take care of the situation and calls Van Helsing in. And then the third guy just sticks around, and he's identical to the one she decides to marry, except that one of them is American and one of them is English, and they all just, like, hang out. And I was like, what is happening? Like, what are any of you... They just love her so much. It doesn't matter. It's fine. But it was pretty funny. They're all just kind of standing there like, oh, like, okay. Why do we, need them? we do not need this many men. <laughs> no, it's fine. My God, I love Anthony Hopkins, though. He's oh. just ne- he's never done anything wrong in his life. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, at least 50% of the films he's done are absolutely appalling. But I will not hear a word against him. Well, it was the f- movie definitely reminded me of Hannibal. Because it's oh, got yeah. the same kind of, like this guy is objectively the bad guy, but you're rooting for him anyway thing because he's just so much more charismatic (laughs) than anybody else on screen that it doesn't matter. He's eating babies. Sure. Whatever. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. All the, all the production stuff too. You mentioned the costumes already and like those in particular but the whole thing was just, it was astonishing. I was thinking, and it cost like 40 million bucks, which should have been more in the 90s, but still not like massive, massively yeah. expensive. And Coppola was uh, paranoid about going over budget because of Apocalypse Now and some other stuff he'd done. And so they were very uh, peculiar, like particular about it. But the richness of it and also how sexual it is i just kept thinking this movie so could not ever get made 
with in a mainstream context with all these movie stars today, like it, just nothing like it would happen. It's yeah. such a relic of the past, like in a way that was depressing, but nice as an an artifact. I mean, the I mean, last... but even even like then, this film was very peculiar. Oh yeah, if you see it, like it just yeah. visually looks completely different from every other contemporary film because they're they're like they intentionally are like we feel no need to cover up the special effects which is fine because it's intentionally really stylized and it looks theatrical and like i think one of the moments that if you've seen the film you just can't forget is when towards the beginning they're still in dracula's castle and you see dracula's shadow there's this really long scene between dracula and jonathan harker and Dracula's shadow is always moving independently of Dracula's body, and it's just so visually effective. And it also very much ties into the silent film origins, which like obviously loads of black and white silent films love to use shadow as a kind of storytelling device. But there's loads of stuff like that. You know, there's the scenes when Jonathan Harker is on the train writing his diary, like the diary is in focus in the foreground as the train is like driving along the top and stuff like that. And really the only place... I visually see stuff that kind of stylized now is in TV shows by Brian Fuller because he's very much playing to the same kind of gothic melodrama stuff. And it's really, like, obviously people are going to keep remaking Dracula forever. You know, the next one that we're going to get is going to be by uh, Stephen Moffat of Sherlock and Doctor Who fame, about which I have absolutely no optimism at all. But, um... It's just it's just kind of curious that they're just getting more conservative with it, right? Like, I have no idea what Stephen Moffat's going to do with it, but probably not something I'll be into. But the most recent big Dracula adaptation was Dracula Untold, which is the prequel with Luke Evans, where it's an action movie, <laughs> where it's just, like, him fighting people in armour and it's meant to be all historical. And it's just like, why? Why bother? You can do that with literally anything. It's Dracula. Just, like, lean in as far as you can to it being really creepy. Well, that and, like, the Max Landis' Frankenstein movie, Ugh. right? Which Ugh. which is the Igor's Frankenstein edition, not a Dracula edition. I just realized I had said before. But anyway, that trend of just absolute shit blockbuster stuff, yeah. or, like, the King Arthur thing, which we've complained about before, is so demoralizing. And it gets back to the thing we are always complaining about which is that all of these movies are made for men and actually the people who want to watch them are women the one the thing that has been sort of adaptation that's been tied into this a little bit although it's not a straight adaptation that was i think more successful although it's harder to measure was definitely penny dreadful oh right? yeah for sure not that was like a massive hit but it definitely was successful especially the first season which was the stuff with the harkers yeah and that was like the most outrageously camp thing I've like it's ever so seen. Camp. I love. I've got, at some point I'm gonna finish Penny Dreadful because I didn't actually get to the point where they introduce uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. I didn't either. Yeah, but I'm sure it's wild. <laughs> but that kind of like that show is so not targeted at straight men at all. Oh no, of course, like on any level, zero percent. <laughs> And John Logan, whom we love, has such a better grasp of what makes this sort of gothic stuff appealing. It's the, the you know, yeah, the classic gothic thing is that there's a monster that's a sort of manifestation of some kind of 
like unspoken trauma. psychological thing i mean obviously like actually come to think of it i don't think there really is like a definitive frankenstein right because there's the classic frankenstein which is thought of as the definitive frankenstein you know the one from the kind of 30s and 40s right yeah but i would say that kind of in the modern era bram stoker's dracula is probably the definitive modern dracula i imagine there's some kind of bbc miniseries that is like accurate to the book but with frankenstein it hasn't really happened because he's become this kind of godzilla like monster i don't feel like there has been a film that is part of the public mindset. Maybe the stage show that had Benedict Cumberbatch. I was going to say the stage yeah. adaptation is the only thing that comes close, I think, which obviously isn't the same as a, you know, feature film. Yeah. But a lot of people did see that. But just in terms of, like, um, updating something, I think that that probably comes closest. And I saw that uh, not... I saw the sort of um, National Theatre Live version, mm-hmm. and it was really good. But surely someone will do that again soon because it's so timely and people love mary shelley so they do <laughs> i actually don't think frankenstein is a great book i think it's a great concept and it's great psychology exactly. so there's exactly. material there so adaptation's great that's one of those books that i think the idea is so interesting yeah and the the actual novel i don't think is like particularly remarkable mary shelley was an incredible person obviously but I remember reading it and being like, I don't really get this, but okay. A while ago, I think when the Stephen Moffat show was announced, my friend Grace and I spent the best part of a day plotting out in meticulous detail how we would do an authentic yet updated Dracula, where it's like more diverse and you like go into the psychological themes and you make it really romantic and operatic and what have you. And with Frankenstein, there's so much material to be plumbed there that you could yeah. do the same thing, right? But like, I feel like the best frankenstein that we've not seen is one where you just make it really explicit that frankenstein himself like not the monster is a young idiot right because he's not grad he's a college dropout right he's not dr frankenstein he's a teenager who's read all these essentially like fantasy books right because the point is that like he (laughs) either he gets rejected by his scientific peers because he's like i really want to build a homunculus and they're like that's kind of a fake thing. We're scientists and you want to build like a golem. And he's like, no, no, it's definitely real because I read about it in this text by Plato or whatever. And then he builds a homunculus. And like the films, obviously, the image is that it's sewn together from bits of corpse. But I think you can equally interpret it, as far as I recall, as making it from other stuff, right? So it's basically just yeah. like a kind of a weird human slimy thing. So you could make it, you know, you could make it like Swamp Thing, you could make it out of like clay. There's a lot of material. And then the point is that it's like you have this just sweet Frankenstein's monster that's kind of like a weird, gloopy, gross beast, but it's just like a nice kid. And then his dad is like a 19-year-old lunatic who would probably be the kind of person who searches himself on Twitter and harasses people for like, <laughs> telling him he's an idiot, right? <laughs> That's what you have. And you also have it with like really intensive kind of emotional overtones and everything's shot in like a kind of a gloomy Russian forest. <laughs> so it's like, I just feel like I should be in charge of gothic cinema, but instead we have the Dark Universe franchise where it's like, Tom Cruise is the mummy. Which is fortunately dead on... Oh yeah, impact. that shit's getting cancelled so, as we speak. Yeah, but um, but Moffat is is yeah. I mean, there's still power, allegedly so. Angelina Jolie is allegedly going to be in this Bride of Frankenstein movie, but like I, I don't believe that it. when I see it. I did just 
just r- realized, though, as you were speaking, that definitely the definitive sort of cinematic Frankenstein is Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> that's that's for sure what it is, which I haven't seen in so long. I really should rewatch it. A, you know, genius film. I watched that I am my... the Philistine that doesn't like it. I watched like half of it and I was just like, I don't find any of this funny at all. And I think I should retry it because everyone loves it. But I was just like, ugh. Yeah, I think we've discussed this before and I was appropriately horrified. <laughs> I watched it with my dad and my brothers growing up. And I never really watched like classic cinema. Obviously, that's, you know, the 70s. So it's not like classic, classic, but certainly compared to like things that came out in the 90s. And my my littlest brother, who's seven years younger than I am, was had just started... Uh, sleeping with the light off and it so terrified him and it's not a scary movie at all (laughs) and my dad was like what have I done (laughs) it's not frightening but and he tried to get him to come back in and be like look the monster is not scary like he's you know he's doing some stupid thing or whatever and my brother would not come back into the room and then it was months again before he would sleep with the light off (laughs) and it was just like oh god no. So there are some, some memories associated with that film. But it's excellent. It's very good. I laughed a lot when I saw it as my brother was screaming right out of the room. <laughs> oh, dear. I'll make you watch it again sometime. And okay. you won't laugh. <laughs> and I'll laugh. It'll be great. Similar experience. Uh, yeah, do we have anything else to say about this one? I don't know. Do you have any insight as a Victorian literature scholar? Uh, it's it's very un-Victorian. You have a note in our document that says it's very Victorian, and I can <laughs> confirm to you that it's not. It was funny watching it because they obviously are like trying to be. I don't even want to say accurate, but like it's better than some of the like really hokey old stuff. Yeah, but it's like it takes place in just this bizarre alternate universe that never existed because it doesn't feel like it's from the 90s particularly no No. but But it also to me it feels more victorian than a lot of other draculas not in the sense that i feel like it feels historically authentic but all of the kind of the kind of restrained sexual subtext stuff but it's not restrained at all. No, it's not. It's like a film. It's a film that no one from the Victorian era would ever make because they're like, this is going way too far. Right. And like, of course, is like anyone who knows anything about that period at all knows that everyone in the Victorian period was completely obsessed with sex and then was totally repressed about it. But it wasn't like people never talked about it or whatever. Like this is, you read the big novels from that time and things are never talked about. So it can be easy to feel like it literally was not a topic of conversation and in fact like all these men had like porn all over the place and like it was an interesting kind of thing but there was a lot of repression and like that's what led to this obsession right so this kind of double think thing going on um and it this was sort of like we're just gonna go for it which i completely respect and that's fine um but the other thing obviously about um Victorian London especially is the the class is like the the huge topic which this movie doesn't deal with at all and that's oh yeah it does not like I don't care it's two hours long right like it doesn't have to do that the only thing that they sort of deal with which 
is a bit, I was rallying my eyes a bit, maybe this is from the novel, I don't remember, um, is that Mina is like Lucy's poor friend who's a school teacher and she's super rich. And I was like, I don't know how many like super rich people like had their poor friends. Like it was pretty stratified. I mean, I think that's basically what it is in the book and kind of the concept yeah. of like Mina and Jonathan are meant to be the emerging middle class. So they're kind of well-to-do but don't have money and he actually has a career. But it's not... Whereas the other is more aristocratic. Right. But like it's so poorly articulated yeah. in the film that it doesn't totally make sense. And then Lucy is so hypersexualized that she doesn't... She's the only one who really doesn't feel like she belongs Oh yeah, she's like all. Com- right? she, doesn't, she doesn't belong any place in human history. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like it didn't bother me particularly because the movie felt so outrageously out of time and like the costumes I thought were amazing and a lot of it felt very um period accurate in the detail but a lot of it felt deliberately just like made up crazy shit like everything Dracula wears is just like bonkers and it was but you can tell that it's not like someone fucked up it's that it's deliberately yeah. Like, nonsense. And so then I don't care because it's just, it's nuts in a cool way. And then that adds to this atmospheric sense of, like, this is just, you know when it's supposed to be taking place, but it's also this kind of just bizarre situation. And because it's a fantasy film, like, you're kind of just along for the ride. I was way more bothered watching Penny Dreadful. I watched two seasons of that and someday also I will finish it. There was a lot about that that I enjoy. I think the first season in particular worked really well. But the the one fault that John Logan has is that, he, at least in that show, that he just didn't get class at all. And it just wasn't in there. I mean, also, the, there were race issues, which is a separate conversation. And, and also a problem. But to have a show that goes on for that many hours yeah. and that takes place in the Victorian period that doesn't deal with class at all. Yeah. Even if it's not supposed to be realistic or whatever, at a certain point, it's just gone on for so long that it doesn't make any sense. Like it just was, it sort of fell apart for me. Whereas something like this, I was like, whatever. It's it's fine. Like, say some more ridiculous stuff and like bite someone (laughs) sounds great (laughs) oh yeah also like one more thing about that in terms of historical time periods is I don't think I've seen another Dracula that really just emphasizes the kind of cultural aspects of the fact that Dracula's like 700 years old yeah because they have him like the only time he's wearing victorian garb is when he goes to london and even then he's got this like flowing hair which no man would be allowed to have right right yes. and it's just and the rest of the time he's got this like invented hairstyle that's this kind of bouffant white wig which is just <laughs> absolutely stunning and wearing these bizarre robes and like blood red with all this guilt all over it and stuff so like he is from this kind of fictionalized era of Romanian ancient history, you know? <laughs> and it's just like, the, and he really kind of, the way he behaves as well is really strange. And like, there's all this, it can't be Russian Orthodox Church, but it's kind of in that general Yeah, vein. it's clearly meant to sort of yeah. mimic that a bit. And it's just like, usually Dracula 
Nosferatu films, he is more just inhuman. And then in all the others, he's more or less appropriate to the role. And because there's this really early image of him wearing essentially white tie, you know, he's just this glamorous guy who looks like he's about to go to the opera and he wears a cape. So it's like, he's kind of otherworldly, but they don't really go into the fact that he's 700 years old. <laughs> Whereas in this one, it's like, holy shit, Gary Oldman is 700 years old. Yes. <laughs> he does not know what's happening. His face is falling off. Yeah, I agree. I think they did a good job with that. And it adds to the just complete weirdness factor. Utter <laughs> Of everything. I mean, when he's like wooing Mina and you know, speaking sweet words to her, everything that comes out of his mouth is just like fucking crazy. And she is into it. She is into it so much. It's like, great. I'm happy for you. Every story where it's like a, a young woman who has a boring life in a historical period and some absolute maniac comes along and seduces her, I'm like, you know what? You would be bored as shit. So, yes. Right. There's nothing else to do. So, why not get seduced by some seven year hundred year old weirdo who thinks you're his like reincarnated corpse bride? Right. I mean, you see her life, like, nothing is going on. Her fiance has vanished to a castle in wherever and stopped writing and there's a good line about how like it's nice that he gets to go off to all these foreign countries but i don't (laughs) and then some dude shows up and starts like making overtures and saying oh he's a prince like you know what fine sounds good yeah i would recommend this if you have what a good film have no halloween uh party plans this weekend check it out and if you stuff. want a more PG-rated one, I would obviously recommend Bela Lugosi's Dracula, which is absolutely tremendous and has, you know, if if you want to watch this in company, who would not feel as comfortable with all the wolf fucking, Bela Lugosi's <laughs> Dracula, solid recommendation too. All right. Thank you, Gav. Uh, next week, we will, of course, be discussing Thor Ragnarok. This is uh, already out in the UK, coming out in the US this weekend. I am so excited for this movie. More excited than I thought. It's still possible to be excited for a Marvel film, except, of course, Black Panther. Thank you. No problem. Uh, Getting great reviews. Sounds like it's very good. Uh, Very funny. I'm, I'm pumped. So we will be here with that next week. Happy Halloween. Thank you as ever for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. I also just remembered that in a couple of weeks, we are going to be discussing Philip Pullman's new novel, La Belle Sauvage, which is a sort of follow-up or prequel to uh, his Dark Materials. So if you've seen us tweeting about that very emotionally, uh, we're enjoying it a lot. It's so good. Yes, it's excellent. I've been forcing myself to read it slowly because I love it so much. Uh, so yeah, read that, be ready for that too. Uh, thanks again. And you can find us at overinvestedpodcast.com on Twitter at overinvestedpod or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.